for um, we turn to God's word, just a few quick issues. First of all, there are three individuals I ought to have welcomed a little earlier. Uh, let me just find out if they are here. Um, there is Mutakelwa um, Mkelevai. Are you in here somewhere? Just raise your hands if you're here, okay? There's also Jesse Himunyanga. Are you here? Okay, thank you. The last one is Francisco Nyambe. Are you in here? Francisco. All right. So while these individuals are making their way forward, let me quickly process a few smaller announcements. So those three, please do come forward uh, so that we don't miss the opportunity of welcoming you in a fortnight's time. There will be another three individuals that will be welcome, so we shouldn't miss this opportunity. Um, yes, please keep coming and turn around when you get to the front. Uh, first of all, it has already been said, but in case you came late, this coming Saturday, we have our regular members meeting, our ordinary general meeting. It begins at nine hours on Saturday, ending at 12, an appeal to all of us who are members of the church, uh, including the latest ones that will be welcoming in a minute, to make sure that you set aside time to be at the members' meeting. Please do your best, and as you mingle with one another across the week, just remind one another concerning the members' meeting. Closely related to that is by Wednesday or Thursday at the latest, you should have the financial report coming to you by email. You should also have the deacon's report coming by email and also the elder's report. If you don't receive those and you have not been receiving those before members' meetings, it's a sign that the church office does not have your uh, email address. Oh, yes, the fourth thing you receive afresh will be the minutes of the last members' meeting. So please, today, make sure you make your way into the office and uh, send, rather, leave your email address there or simply email uh, either one of the elders or uh, Irene or the church or something, just saying, uh, here is my email address, and consequently it will be passed on to the church office. Let's make sure we do that so that we receive all these things, read through them Thursday and Friday, because when we come to the members' meeting, we don't read the minutes and we don't read all the details of uh, the reports. And then um, on the 29th of October, this should have been in the announcements, so it will continue. It will begin finding its way in the announcements for the next one month. On the 29th of October, um, the first Baptist church building uh, is going to have quite a bit of activities around it in Kafulafuta. The first building that was ever put up by Baptists in Zambia, there will be some commemorative activities happening 
there. It's a mission station just outside um, Luansha. And uh, all Baptists are being encouraged to be there. Now, obviously, if that happened, uh, there won't be enough space for even a house fly to, to find its way. Uh, however, if you are keen and you know anyone who is on the club board who's Baptist, please do encourage them to be there. If you are keen to be there, just uh, leave your name at the church office. We'll try and organize at least some level of transport. It is just one day beginning at nine hours in the morning and ending at 16 hours, and we make our way back to Lusaka. 29th October is a Saturday. And then finally, it's probably already been said in the announcements, but good news is uh, that today uh, we have quite a number of members that have made their way over to Crossway in McKinney, and that's because we are finally setting apart our church plant that was initially Bonaventure Baptist Church and now is Crossway. Baptist Church, three elders are being ordained this morning, and once they are ordained, we let go of that church. Perhaps this Sunday, this Saturday, although I'm a little doubtful, uh, the missionary and his wife may come to bid farewell, but most likely it's going to be at the annual general meeting to say, the work is done, we've now let go of them, and consequently, uh, Crossway Baptist Church stops being a daughter church today and becomes a sister church from now onwards. So, if I was among uh, our friends across this wall fence, I know they would have been, you know, praise the Lord, amen, and so on. I can hear it in your hearts. So. <laughs> That's something we need to unlearn, you know, we are doing. <laughs> Even when the best news on the planet is being announced. Okay, uh, we'll just pray for the welcoming of these friends. And then I'll shake them on your behalf after which they will join me at the door. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Eternal and gracious God in heaven, we can imagine those early days when Henry Masters and uh, his friend Philip Arthur made their way from Lilongwe by foot all the way to Kafulafuta to establish the first Baptist mission in Zambia that they hardly ever thought that a hundred years later there will be more individuals in this country that can be numbered that profess the Baptist faith and that this work would continue growing from strength to strength. Indeed, Lord, when Charles Haddon Spurgeon 
laid his hands on Arthur Phillips to set him apart as a missionary into Central Africa. It's doubtful that in the mind of Charles Haddon Spurgeon would have entered what is now realized by the work of your Holy Spirit in this part of the world. And yet here we are, not only seeing growth generally, but witnessing it as these three friends add to the numbers of this particular Baptist church. We realize, O oh Lord, that in the same way, when we were setting apart a brother Oswald Sichola to go and plant a church eight years ago in the Bonaventure area, we did not visualize what is there now that we are celebrating today. A work that is now set apart entirely with its own eldership, its own pastor. Lord, we thank you that in your mind all this was as if it was taking place in those days long ago. For you are a God who sees all things. And Father, all we can do is rejoice in the fruit of the labors of many. That today we are seeing so many forms of evidence that you are at work, that you own the preaching of the gospel with much fruit. Lord, we welcome these individuals into our membership and we pray, Lord, that in a month's time when Baptists gather together in that place out in the bushes, to sing, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. May you receive the honor, the praise, and your glory. Indeed, Lord, we pray that in the midst of this rejoicing, you may help us to be responsible believers, faithful believers in our own small way. And as we welcome these three individuals, we pray that we may not just go through it as a ritual, but that we may put their names in our prayer lists, that we may want to know them individually, uh, that we might welcome them in our homes and visit them in theirs, and in due season they might join hands with us through the various ministries of the church to, to bring the gospel of Christ into the homes and lives of many. Indeed, Lord, we plead with you that this might be the case to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. Let's turn then in our Bibles to 1 John and chapter 5.
First John chapter 5, and uh, we will read the first five verses, although this morning we are considering verse 4 and verse 5. So if we may read the first five verses of that chapter. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, friends, we are continuing in our series of messages in First John under the theme of assurance of salvation. And last week, we were considering the second and third verse in this passage of scripture in which we were learning about love, not simply as a fruit of our salvation, but love for one another being intimately related to our love for God and our obedience of his commandments. And if you were here last week, you will notice that I emphasized joyful obedience. And I was bringing out the joyfulness from the words, his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, if you are a true Christian, you are an individual who rejoices in obeying God and following that which it, it's, it's a joy to do so. You don't do so grudgingly. You don't do so biting your teeth, wondering when you will be released from this duty. No, no, no. You rejoice in it. You want to obey him, and you want to obey him in this way. And in which way? In loving your brothers and sisters. In their immediate circumstances, in their immediate trials, you really want to be able to, as it were, come alongside them and help them to be victorious with their own situations. Now, John in verse 4 and 5, seems to change the subject. And he, he speaks of uh, overcoming as the main theme. You can't miss it because three times over, he uses this word. Look with me very quickly at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is that? Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son 
of God. One is tempted to think he has changed subjects, and in a sense he has. But really, John is continuing what he has been dealing with, and that is the theme of assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. From 1 John and chapter 3, he has, beginning with verse 4, he has been dealing with the evidence being overcoming sin in our lives. The moral transformation that he who has been born of God does not continue in sin. There is a, a, a clear evidence of salvation in a person hating sin and loving righteousness. And then later on, he also, beginning with verse 11 in chapter 3, went on to speak about love. That a person who's been born of God is one who, who loves the brethren. He gives of himself, gives of his time, gives of his money, gives of his abilities to, to better the lives of other believers, to, to help them on in their way to heaven, as we've already seen. Now, it's, it's, the temptation is to speak like this. That yes, you know, many years ago, when I was younger, I remember that was my life. I, I was somebody who uh, lived a very clear life morally and spiritually in that sense. I was somebody who, who gave myself to, to, to loving the brethren. But over the years, I've, I've, I've gotten so carried away with life, with, with its demands, with uh, um, the pressures that are there in the world and, and in due season, I have fallen away. Am I a true Christian or not? If that's my current state, am I a true believer or not? Now that kind of question will be in the minds of, of many genuine inquirers. And the reason why is, is because th there is real conflict and combat when it comes to trying to live out the demands of God in our lives. The devil is real. The world around us has no respect for the Ten Commandments. And in the same way, we are all born with a, a fallen nature that has a, a tendency towards sin, towards disobedience, as far as God and his law would be concerned. And therefore, these three militate against obeying God, loving God, and loving one another. They don't just militate at the beginning of one's life. They maintain such a ferocious opposition all the way to your dying day. They never give up. And consequently, it, it, it only makes sense that some people that may have apparently begun the Christian race would have somewhere along the way fallen by the wayside. 
How are we to interpret that? And you may easily be in that category. You look back perhaps to your teenage years, full of zeal, full of fire, a firebrand for Christ. And now, nothing more than a scarecrow. What does that say about your eternity? What does that say about whether you are a Christian or not? Now, some people have a quick answer to that, and it is this, that you lost your salvation somewhere along the way. That's the answer they easily give. You were a Christian, and then someone grabbed the Christianity from you, the devil most likely, and now you are no longer a Christian. That's the kind of explanation that is often given. John has another answer. And that's the answer that we are looking at this morning. His answer is this. All true Christians are overcomers. All true Christians are overcomers. That the opposition of the world, the opposition of the very fallen nature that we have, the opposition of the devil is going to be squashed in all true believers. In other words, a true child of God goes from strength to strength to strength to strength until he disappears through cyberspace, as it were, into heaven. That's the true Christian. And he puts it this way, very quickly, in verse 4 and 5. First of all, he simply asserts it. All true Christians persevere to the end despite every non-opposition. Look at the way he puts it in the first half of verse 4. The first half of verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I want you to notice that there is no room for some failing to overcome. Let's read that again. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This resistance that we find in this world that finally causes so many people that may have started the race with us to fail along the way, those who are genuinely born of God do not fall and fail along the way. I want you to notice here, first of all, that John's emphasis is in this verse is not so much on the overcoming of the world, because that's what he is dealing with anyway. His emphasis is on the source of this overcoming the world. The source. And it is the new birth. Notice again the way he puts it. For everyone who has been born of God. Overcomes the world. Everyone that has been born of God. In other words... 
as we saw at the beginning of uh, this chapter in verse 1, the new birth is the source of everything. It's the beginning. And the new birth is not something you do. It is something God does to you. He infuses spiritual life in you. And when he infuses spiritual life in you, the fruit of that is so many other things. Let's quickly go back a verse or two and we're going to see a few other fruits of the new birth. Let's go to chapter 2 and verse 29. Chapter 2 and verse 29. The Bible says there, if you know that he is righteous, referring to God, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In other words, you can see the characteristic of a father in the son. The genes are passed on. If God is righteous, then anyone who claims to be born of him, surely you will see it in righteousness. Or as he puts it the other way around, whoever is living a righteous life must have been born of him. Because God himself is righteous. Or, as he puts it in verse 9, verse 9 of chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. In other words, he may fall into sin, but it never becomes his lifestyle. If he falls into sin, like a cat that has fallen into mud, you can see the effort at cleaning up. You can see the regret, the repentance, the forsaking of the sin. You can see the, the resolution that from now onwards, this is in my history. It's done with. I want to live for God. He does not continue living in sin. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Well, he gives the reason here. Because God's seed abides in him. That life-giving element that was placed in him by God never goes away. It remains in him. And because of that, we are told, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Because we have got too many people who live in sin, continue enjoying in sin, as long as it is all in hiding, and what do they do? They still somehow think they are Christians. Stop cheating yourself. Because the only people who are genuine Christians are those who have been born from God and those who are born from God have his characteristic. It is righteousness. They hate sin. And therefore, they will not live in it. So the new birth is the source of righteousness. 
The new birth is also the source of love. We saw that in chapter 5, sorry, chapter 4 and verse 7. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. There it is. Again, love comes from the new birth, this seed that is in a person that has been born of God. And hence, he is able to love. The love is flowing from the inside out. Chapter 5, verse 1. Faith, as we shall be seeing throughout this message, is also a product of the new birth. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Has been born of God. Again, the new birth gives rise to our belief. We will deal with that in a moment. But let's quickly look at one more. And it is our protection to the very end. That which enables us to persevere. Chapter 5 and verse 18. Chapter 5 and verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Okay? We've already established that it's been said in chapter 3. It's being repeated. But listen to this. But he who was born of God, that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. There it is. So another fruit of this is this protection that makes the evil one fail to dislodge a child of God from continuing to live a life of God. The Lord Jesus Christ put it so well, isn't it, when he was speaking to his disciples. And he, he was speaking in terms of how a, a, a child of God is, abides in God. He, he dwells in God. The, the life of God is around him. He used another picture. He says, he is in my hands. He's in my hands. Now, you can imagine if you are in God's hands, how the evil one can, can get you out. I wish him well. I wish him well. There is a protection because you have been born of God. So the thing I want you to realize, first of all, from this assertion, is that if you are a true Christian today, you will overcome all opposition to your final dying day. All hell may break loose upon your soul. And for a moment, the rubble that is gathered over you may look as if you are defeated. 
the life of God in you is indestructible. You cannot destroy it. And consequently, it's not long before all that rubble is thrown out and your life begins to shine again. You will overcome. On the basis of righteousness, you will overcome. With respect to loving others, you will overcome. The world cannot quench that fire. Now the Bible points out the reason why. It points out the means by which you will overcome. And it is the gift of God that he gives to all that he gives new birth to. And that is faith. Faith. Back to our text. First John chapter 5 and verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Let's put it this way. And I'm saying this because of the wrong way in which this is understood. Notice that it is not saying that what overcomes the world is our act of believing. It's not saying that. Our act of believing. In other words, there's a trial going taking place in your life and then someone comes to you and says come on just believe just 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 believe the promises of God you know the bible says all things work together for good just believe just believe and and you that's not what he's talking about here what he's saying is that we already possess it it is something that is inside us. It's, it's a reality that cannot be taken away because it was already put in us at the new birth. You remember I said when I was trying to illustrate this that when a baby is born, it cries cries. It's not the crying that gives it life. No. It is because it has life. That's why it cries. If a baby is born and doesn't cry, the medical people will tell you it's dead dead. Why does it cry? Is it because somebody said, come, cry. Wait, cry. Eh? Cry. Come on, cry. No. It's because the seed of life is inside and once the umbilical cord is cut, this little thing is, is alive and it's, it's cr- longing for 
air to enter the lungs and in that longing comes the cry. And that's what causes finally the breathing to commence. It's because the life has been put there already. Hence the cry. It's exactly the same way with us when we come to repentance and faith. Why do we repent? Why do we believe in terms of the actual act of entrusting our lives upon Jesus Christ and his finished work? Why do we do it? It's because God has infused that life. He has infused it. In other words, for the first time, spiritual things become a reality. Previously, it was a theory. People were telling you, you know you need to repent. There is a hell. There is God. This is sin and so on. And of course, you didn't like it because it looked like they're just trying to rob you the joys that you've been having. But when God infuses life in you, Friends, it's no longer a theory. God is real. Sin is real. Hell is real. Jesus Christ, the Savior, is real. Spiritual things are real. And consequently, you cry out to Jesus to save you from your sins. Why? This life that has been given to you opens your eyes to spiritual realities, you are able to see what previously you were not seeing. I've used this illustration before. Let me make it again. Before a person is born from above, born from God, born anew, he, he, he can't see spiritual things. You may be telling him but it's just all theory. It's like a person who has such a love for alcohol that when he finally enters this room that has crates and crates and crates of castle lager, he feels as if this is the place I'm going to be Nobody is taking me out of here. Now, you have seen a cobra go under the door into that place. And you are saying to him, friend, run for your life. There is a cobra in there. You know what he's telling you as he pops the next one? <laughs> you are just jealous, you. You go away. I'm enjoying myself here. It's a white word and so on. You tell him until your head pops off your shoulders, he won't listen to you. After all, he's enjoying what's happening there. The new birth is the opening of the eyes. The new birth is like you now turning on the lights. Then as you turn on the lights, he sees it. Now, look, 
you don't need to start telling him, look, you know, five seconds, what, you know. He won't even know how he managed to climb this wall and get out through that little window at the top and find himself on the other side. Because he has seen with his eyes. His eyes were open. He saw the thing. He saw the danger. And consequently, adrenaline kicks in. Flies like Spider-Man or Superman, whatever it is. Now, that's the point that's being made here. When God infuses spiritual life in you, your eyes open. Sin is no longer a theory. You know sin and its vileness and ugliness. You know how heinous it is before God. You know, you feel it on the inside of you. You know that with this, I deserve hell. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be thrown away by God forever. You know it inside you. And you see in Christ a perfect Savior. And you cry to him. You cry to him. And friends, that's what overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. Because God becomes very real to you. He's very real. You, you don't need to have elder so-and-so and pastor so-and-so or, you know, sort of following you, seeing how are you living in your home and so on and so No, 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 no. God is there. My God sees me. When I'm alone, he is there. In all my transactions with people, my God is here. And that's what produces faithfulness in believers. It is this reality. God is here now. Why should I be faithful in giving my tithes and offerings? Why? Why don't I cheat? Oh, simple. My God sees. He sees. He sees. It's so real. So real. He sees. Why should I have a pure relationship with members of the opposite sex? Why? I mean, there's just two of us in a dark room. Why? He sees to him the darkness is like broad daylight. So my relationship with God is the one that causes me to say, I'm still going to live a life of purity because my God is always with me. But more than that, he has changed my nature from the inside out. The new birth gives me a new nature. 
a nature that loves righteousness. That's why I want to use my money to his glory. I want to use my sexuality to his glory. Everything to his glory. To his glory. It's a new nature that I have. It's all in this faith. Faith, faith. So if you are here today and you are a true Christian and you are saying that reality pastor is talking about is what I find in me, I'm saying don't take that for granted. Don't. For there are millions in this world to whom that is merely a theory. They are in a dark room and they cannot see this. They can't. They can't. And that's the reason why they still continue in sin. Don't take the grace of God for granted. The God who has brought this spiritual reality in you to the point where it determines your thoughts, it determines your words, it determines all your actions. Don't take it for granted. Thank God for the new birth. Thank him for it. Instead of trying to be like the people of the world, don't follow them. You have a reality in you they don't have. And don't be a fool thinking that you can cross over the fence and actually live in sin. You can't. You can't. You can't. The world came. You can't. And that's one way in which you often see a true believer from a hypocrite. Because he who is a hypocrite abandons the faith because of a dangling carrot, crosses over, and even laughs at you. Ah, even me, I once used to believe those things. That's what he says. So lies. But a genuine born again person sees the dangling carrot and the moment of foolishness crosses over and discovers he or she cannot switch off that reality. They can't. That reality screams back at you. God is angry with you. God is angry with you. God is angry with you. They can try and put on as much loud music as they want, plug their ears with cordless ear pieces from iPhone 7. And whatever it might be, it still comes home. God is displeased with you. Until they realize what a fool they've been and make their way back with head bowed low. I want to make right with God's people again. 
I was a fool. I was a fool. His faith overcomes the world. It's, I repeat, indestructible. So I say again, thank God for the work of grace that he has done in our hearts. John ends by telling us first of all about our uniqueness but secondly our uniqueness in terms of the content of our faith or the object of our faith. And I love the way he puts it because he puts it in question form. He says there in verse 5 who is it that overcomes the world except one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. In other words, it's as if John stops and puts all human beings on one side and he says, only those who have overcome the world cross over to this and he notices that the only ones crossing are those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God. In other words, Christians are not simply one among many overcomers of the world. It's just one option. Perhaps it's, it's the easier option. There are three or four other options which you can use and somehow you can overcome the world. But this is the easier route. No, it is the only way. The only way. And that's the reason why it is a, a form of assurance of salvation. Because it's the only way you can overcome the world. If, if, if Jesus has saved you, if God has done this work of grace in your soul, what you are conscious of is that everything that God says about his son is true. Everything. That's what you're conscious of. Everything. That Jesus is the son of God. Look at the way he puts it in uh, chapter 5 and verse 20. Chapter 5 and verse 20. And after that I must hurry on to close. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. That is God. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. He is the true God and eternal life. We, we've come to know him. And everything that he is, he is God himself, who has now come into the world. When he was born, it was not the beginning of his existence. He is the, the ever-existing God, 
the eternal God without beginning and without end. That's what the Bible says about him. Or as he puts it in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in him. And then he says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And what is this testimony? Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. This is what God has said about his son. He has said so many things about him. And whatever he has said, we believe. We don't argue with the Bible. We don't go like Jehovah's Witnesses, go to the first verse of John, John's gospel and say, well, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was a God. We, we start making changes because we, we cannot stomach Jesus being God. We won't argue with the Bible. He is God. He is God the Son who came into the world to destroy the works of the evil one and he's destroyed them in our lives and that's the reason why we are overcomers we are overcomers the first baptist leader is my hero in zambia that is pokasonga was a leper. And in the process, leprosy took away his fingers, took away his toes, ended up just saving stamps for his feet and his hands. As a 14-year-old showed up at the mission station, before long got converted, when he went on his holidays, he didn't come back. As far as the missionaries were concerned, he's probably going to die. They continued their mission work. Until one day they reached a village. Now in most villages, the way they began their evangelism was by asking the question, have you heard of Jesus, the son of God? And the answer would invariably be no, we haven't. In one village, the, the answer they got was yes, we have heard of Jesus, the Son of God. They were shocked. When they asked why or how, they were told of a boy who was now dying across the stream in a little hut, segregated from everybody else who's been telling us about Jesus. They went there and they found poor Kasonga. Nothing but skin and bones. Lifted him, took him back to the mission station and nursed him back to health. 
In due season, he became the foremost Baptist preacher in his generation until he died in August 1954. But here's the point. Away from everybody else, suffering a disease that was slowly but surely consuming his body. There was something that could not be overcome. His faith. It was what overcame the world. And consequently, an entire village could say, there is somebody here who's proclaiming Christ to us. Friends, that's the glory of the Christian faith. When a person is born again, born from above, you can throw him wherever you want. In any work situation, in any new town, any new country, anywhere in the world, in the midst of the most ferocious religions, he will bear testimony to the reality in his soul. He's an overcome. Is an overcomer. Is that faith in you? Is that faith in you? There's a song we often sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. It was written by an Indian just before he was martyred. New convert. And as he stood there, he was being told to recant his new faith in Christ. And his response was, sorry, I have decided to follow. They said to him, look, your entire family, your entire family has disowned you because of this. His response was, though no one joins me, still I will follow. They tried to show him what he's going to leave behind if he dies in this moment. Look, look at what the world offers you. His answer was, the world behind me is the cross that's before me. Go ahead and do what you want to do to me. I'm not turning back. He was martyred right there and then. Another Christian who was watching all this went home and turned those statements into the song that we sing up. decided to follow Jesus. What? That faith, it overcomes the world. So, to the question, can a true Christian lose his salvation? The answer is a loud no. And it's because this faith is more than positive thinking. It is a fruit of this new life, this seed of life that has been put in us, this eternal life that has been put in us by an act of God 
in the new birth. So all true Christians are overcomers. Yes, they may fall, but they will not remain on the ground. They will rise. They will be victors in the end. If that's not true of you, if yours is now a life of hypocrisy, hiding in sin, and then trying to be like everyone else on a Sunday, with all the love in my heart, let me say this to you. You are not a Christian. You are not. You are not. If you can live a double life and be happy in sin, you are not a Christian. The new birth has not taken place in you. All true Christians are overcomers. And it's not me saying it. It's here in the Bible. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Does it mean you should despair? No. Because God's command to all of us is believe in my son. Believe in my son, Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you will have this eternal life. Believe in him. That's the command that he gives to us. Believe in him. If you're sitting there, therefore, that's the command of God. Now you say, but if I'm dead, how do I then believe? I don't know how God does this. I honestly don't. It's like Jesus going to a person with a shriveled hand and he's saying, stretch it. The man stretched it. How? I don't know. Somehow, God's word coming to you with the life of the spirit in you is what causes you to listen and obey and do it. My job is to tell you to do it. Believe in God's own son. Believe in him today. How all that works together but one thing I know is if you believe in Christ today, you will have eternal life. Amen.